Father, I just uh, pray in Jesus' name uh, that tonight as we really get practical on ushering our kids in this journey through adulthood, uh, Father, I pray that um, this would not overwhelm the folks here, but it would encourage them and empower them uh, to know that they are going to be able to do the things that you've called them to do as parents. Uh, Lord, uh, may we be humble as we speak, and may each person here be humble as they listen, uh, so that our hearts can be transformed by what you want to teach us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have, uh, we're, in our, we're beginning our last uh, session tonight, and I want to kind of start with the assignment uh, that we gave you, um, and you want to read what that is, honey? The assignment is on page seven. Am I on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it says, take some time as a couple and answer the question, what do you want to be able to say about each child when he or she turns 18? All right. How many of you had a chance to do that assignment? Raise your hands high. Okay, several of you didn't. All right, we'll forgive you. We're a very forgiving group of people around here. However, did I do that? Maybe I should put that in my back pocket. However, um, I'm just going to give my opinion. This is not God's word. This is my opinion, okay? If you don't do this, uh, and come together as a husband and wife, or if you're a single mom, if you don't do this and get set in your own mind, what your goal is for your child, it's going to be very hard to effectively direct your child towards that goal. So I know that there is, are a thousand things going on in your life. I know that, oh man, to take an hour and just sit down and write this stuff out. It's too hard. We don't have the time. I just want to encourage you um, with everything I can to make the time, to make the time so that you can do this. I, I think if you don't do this, you're sitting down with your children and having communication with them will gradually become more and more pointless. And there won't be a sense of direction in the guiding that you give your kids. Steve, what's that, uh, what's that thing with the target? Like if you, oh, if you don't have a... If you aim at nothing, yes. you'll hit it every time. Right. So All with right. the whole idea that you kind of need to know what you're aiming at as a parent in order to hit it. So if you just go through life thinking, oh, we'll figure it out as we go, you'll you won't know where you're going yeah. and you'll feel lost and you'll feel aimless. And so this uh, assignment is to help you have a goal in mind so that you know what direction you're going. That's a, gr that's a great point. What we're, what we're trying to do is to help you establish a North Star for your kids. You know what a North Star is in navigation? It's it's that thing that it, if you keep your eye on it, it will, you'll always be able to navigate, even if you're not going towards that, if you're veering away, 
In fact, in sailing ships, they always had to tack. So they were never going directly towards the North Star. They were always going with the wind or against the wind or doing something. But that kept their eye on where they needed to be. And I'm, what I want to do is go through what we've been talking about so that you know what it is we're challenging you to uh, put down in your prayer list for your kids. Um, so we're on the page where it starts talking about skills and habits. Page 7. Okay, we're on page 7. So these are the things that we would encourage you uh, to write down. And let me just ask you right now, if you were thinking of an 18-year-old, can you think of one or two skills that you would want them to be able to do as they're leaving the home and going off to college? What's, what's a skill you would want them to have? Change their tire. Absolutely. That's awesome. And, and let's, let's expand that a little bit. What to do in an emergency? What to do if your car breaks down? What to do if you have a flat tire? What to do if you're out at night and the lights go out or, or the power goes out or your cell phone coverage goes out? You know, all of those kind of... That's awesome. Boy, everybody write that down. That is a great idea. That's a, a skill. You want your children to know how to respond in an emergency. That's huge. That's a great one. I, I hadn't thought of that, but I think that's fantastic. What else? Other skills? Yeah, Tim. Maybe like a general knowledge of how to defend the faith, like a basic apologetic, like how to shut down false worldviews. Okay, great. Now, I'm going to move that under, because one of the things here is knowledge. And I, th I think you are, what you're saying is absolutely important. By the way, did you hear what Tim said? Uh, you want them to have a basic sense of really why they believe what they believe, an apologetic for their faith, so that they can uh, have it for themselves, but also communicate that with other people. It seems like they'll get bombarded like if they go to college with all kinds of garbage. Well, t Tim, you're, you're right on the button. Because... The, the stats are that kids who abandon their faith do so within the first six months of entering college. I mean, is that crazy? They've grown up in church all their lives and it takes exactly six months for them to ditch 18 years of faith building. Well, Steve, tell them about your history teacher or your teacher at City College. Oh, that's a great, that's a great point. When I went into City College, uh, my history teacher, the world history uh, had us raise your I want any of you who are Christians to raise your hand. And I and probably about five of the class of 30 raised their hands. And he said, my goal is that by end, the end of this class, none of you will raise your hands to say you're Christian. That was his stated goal was to sabotage our faith with his quote-unquote knowledge. It was funny. I actually went up to it afterwards. I said... I said, you know, you've done more to build my faith. I want to thank you. <laughs> because my faith in Jesus Christ is stronger than it's ever been. Because if that's the best you got. Because get this, in world history, and this was an actual explanation. In the book of Daniel, the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fiery furnace. He said the reason they survived is in those days, they actually wove asbestos into their clothing. 
and that's how they could survive the fiery furnace. And I thought, no. <laughs> but what was so encouraging to me is he had to deal with the history of the Old Testament because it is so, uh, uh, what's the word, affirmed or confirmed? Anyway, it, it was, these, these are not just stories somebody made up. The view is that these stories are stories of history. And so he had to explain them. And they, people are writing books about how to explain the Red Sea so that it wasn't a miracle. They're, they're working like crazy, but they're assuming that basic stories of the Old Testament are indeed true. Anyway, that was... Back to skills and knowledge. Okay, let's go back to skills. Give me some other skills you'd want your kids to have. How to do laundry. How to do laundry. I, to this day, do not know how to do laundry. <laughs> Did you guys see uh, the Big Hero 6 where the guy wears his under underwear, you know, one way, then he turns it around and wears it the other way? That's me. I'm not doing that today, by the way. Thank you. So I have a wife. But that's a great thing. How to do laundry without destroying your clothing. Uh, what else? How to cook. What else? Oh, man, huge. How to keep a budget. How to, how to keep receipts, how to uh, know if you're using a credit card, how to use it responsibly, how to read a credit card bill. Now, think about this. These kids are never going to learn this unless... When, when we were growing up, they had a class called home economics. I don't even think they have that anymore, do they? Which is tragic. But, but uh, so... As your kids are hitting 16 or 17, if they don't have a bank account, if they're not learning how to balance their bank account, if they're not learning how to manage a credit card, if when, if when they're going away to school at 18, if that's the first time they're seeing a credit card, you are in big trouble. Especially if it's got your name on it, okay? So all of this stuff, these, these are the kind of skills, and boy, you guys are doing some great thinking. Because it's important that you know what kind of skills, because where are they going to learn them if they don't learn them from you? Don't turn it over to the school and don't turn it over to the church. This is your job. I think how to take care of yeah. um, personal property or even your room. Okay, don't sit on the mic. Okay, that's an <laughs> important safety tip. Like keeping like your your area of responsibility cleaning up your room uh if you have a big yard and you share your you know have them do chores of yard work or housework or things like that right i think those are valuable yes yeah how to manage your time, manage your time. oh man <laughs> that is so huge because all the time we're thinking oh i've got plenty of time to get that done and then the last two weeks of the semester come up and your kids are, don't know how to, how to budget things out. Yeah. Um, I worked at a teenage girls group home and it surprised me that none of them knew how to mail anything. Oh my goodness. So that how to how mail to, a letter. Because they never needed to. How to mail a bill. How to, okay. Very good. So I think you get the idea of skills, right? Now, By the way. Yes. Um, you can go online. This was just on Pinterest, chores by age. And it's just a sample of chores that you could do, like for 
seven and nine year olds get themselves up in the morning with an alarm clock, make their own lunch, manage an allowance, fold laundry, cook simple foods, load and unload dishwasher, vacuum. So that's just seven and nine year olds. But you can find this kind of information. You guys are all tech savvy, probably more than we are. But um, Not more than I am. <laughs> well, that may be true. I'm kind of arrogant. All right. Um, but anyway, how did you find this? Well, I was on Pinterest, and I put chores for kids. Okay. And there are several lists. So we'll, we'll have this up here. You can look at this, and, and I, I think that's a great idea. Very good. Um, okay. Let's just real quick, habits. What habits would you want your kids to have? Habits are things they do routinely without even thinking about it. What? Great. Well, of course, when they're 18, hopefully... They'll still yeah. have toys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, roommates. I've got to clean up my Legos now. Okay, no. But anyway, I understand what you're saying. Uh, develop the habit of cleaning up after yourself, and then things don't get crazy. I've learned something really valuable, that if you clean a fork after you've eaten eggs, before three days later... It's a lot easier to clean that fork. It's amazing. I mean, I just thought that up all by myself. It was incredible. What other habits? Okay, so clean up before you get the giant mess, right? Hygiene. Hygiene. Personal hygiene. Hygiene, good. Brush your teeth. Take a shower once a week, whether you need it or not. Okay, good. What else? Do you, do you want your kids spending regular time in the Word when they go away to school? Guess what? You're the one who's going to determine whether that's a habit in their life or not. If you don't have input into their lives, my guess is they probably won't have a regular time in the Word. So that really grows out from you. What else? Would, what other habits would you like them to have? Hospitality. I mean, know oh. how to meet people and then say goodbye to them. Just simple things like offering. Like, Sim- really simple courtesy, yeah. hospitality. Uh, how do you get together with people? How do you have friendships? All of those things. Great. Okay, so that's skills and habits. Let's go on to commitments. Yep. I am really glad you said that because the number of kids who, when they get into college, they, they may try one church and it doesn't click with them and then they quit trying. And then they just don't get into the habit. They don't have that priority of, hey, it's up to me to find a community. That's a great point. You want your kid, uh, in fact, it says, do, uh, Hebrews says, do not neglect assembling yourselves as is the habit of some. Some people are in the habit of not assembling together. And we want our kids, when they're 18 and living, hey, I can't even imagine life without being a part of a community group, without being a part of, of God's people. Great. All right. Commitments. Your child is 18. He's not a child or she's not a child. They're a, a, are you going to come back to character? Oh, did I? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I will come back to character because we're going to spend actually a lot of time on character. So we'll skip that for now. 
What commitments would you like your kids to have made by the time they leave your home? Huh? Okay, a commitment to Christ. I want to help you phrase that commitment. Don't make it your commitment that they're a Christian. Make it that their commitment is that they are committed to following Christ. Being a Christian is static. Oh, I'm a Christian. Following Christ is a dynamic that has implications on what you do every day of your life. Does that make sense? Yes. Saying you're a Christian mm -hmm. can be just a one-time thing. Oh, I received Christ, I'm a Christian. Whereas following Christ is a daily, continuous activity. That's a great point. And, and when... It's interesting because I get different answers from people. If I ask them, are you a Christian? They'll say yes. If I ask them, are you following Christ... They think they, their answer isn't automatic. So this is huge if when you're talking with your kids when they're 10 or 11 and you say, you know, one of my passions is that when you've left the home, your commitment will be strong that you are going to follow Christ for the rest of your life. What a cool thing for your kid to know your love and desire and heart for them. Okay, what are the commitments? Awesome. Uh, let me ask you, does it matter to you if your kid has sex before marriage? Yes. Matter to me. Um, I think, uh, and boy, we're not going to get off on that, but it's, let me just, trust me, that is a huge commitment and one that your child, your emerging adult, has to have made in their heart before they go, to way, go, go away to school. They need to not only say, oh, I'm committed to purity, I have a purity ring, but they understand why, in God's eyes, and for the sake of their lives, purity is so important. Great one. It seems like if you're going to be committed to purity, you've got to be committed to being sober, too. If you get drunk, that's... Alcohol lubricates sex. Okay? I'm, we're being a little blunt here, Okay. Is that true? Uh, so, commitment to sobriety. And let me just say something, and this may shock you. I don't think that necessarily needs to be a commitment to teetotaling that, oh, I'll never touch alcohol. Now, that's something you can make as, as, make as a family decision. But I, I want to caution you against, oh, you know, lips that touch liquor shall never touch mine. If you have this almost fear of alcohol as a parent, what you do is you create a forbidden fruit kind of thing with the kids. And when you're freaked out or afraid of it or saying don't ever touch it, what's the thing you're encouraging them to do? That's what they want to do more than anything else. And if, if they've never tried alcohol before they leave your home. And I don't know what you do as a family. Maybe some of you have a commitment to abstinence of, of no alcohol. That's really your decision, not my mind to advise you on. But um, if the first time kids are experimenting with alcohol is when they're away at college, I can pretty much guarantee you they're not going to have it one drink and then 
put it down. Steve? Because, yes. So, usually when they go off to college, they're not of the age yet where it's legal. Mm. Good point. So, are you um, going to encourage them to try it out illegally in your home? <laughs> is it illegal for a for a sixteen year old in your home to have a glass of wine? Yeah. It is. Huh? Contributing to the delinquency. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, we'll have to check into that because let me just say, in France and Italy, yeah, uh, yeah, 11 years old, and they have the lowest alcoholism rates in the world. And, uh, I, you know, all I can say, you know, Connie and I, we love to drink wine occasionally. We don't, you know, get smashed every Friday night. You know, we don't go down to the bar and, and do shots and things like that. But, yeah. In fact, I, I will say this not out of pride, just that it's, it's the way it is. I've never, ever been drunk in my life. And I've, it's just, I've never had the desire to be. Uh, but I was raised in an abstinence family, and, and you know, I always grew up wondering what it was like, and it was, it was kind of this, oh, I wish I could know, you know. But uh, fortunately, I had a wife who was a wine bibber, and she worked it, me into it gradually, so I had a guide into this. It's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> I have been drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not very fun. But not with me, so. No. All right. Pre-you. Uh, so commitments. These are things, I, I think it is so healthy if you're married as husband and wife to sit down and say, what are the commitments we want our child to make? Uh, to be honest, I really didn't want my kids smoking. Not out of a biblical ethic, really, because I can't find any Bible verses against smoking. Um, but I... It was more of a health issue for me. And so those are things that you need to decide as parents, okay? What commitments do you want? Okay, now we get to knowledge. And Tim, you, you brought up the apologetic, which I think is really important. Um, let me just give you a couple of things that I think is really important for your kids to know. Um, a reasonable understanding of the creation of the universe. And let me add a comma, a reasonable biblical understanding of the creation of the universe. Um, increasingly, Christians are ignoring Genesis 1 through 3 because we've been totally intimidated out of it uh, by the world making fun of us. Oh, you said Christians run with dinosaurs, blah, blah, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And so uh, this is a great thing because for you, Genesis 1 through 3 is the thing that your child will help them defend against a unbiblical worldview. Because Genesis 1 through 3 answers where did we come from? It answers why are we here? It answers what went wrong? It answers where did marriage come from? It answers why do Christians keep saying that marriage is between one man and one woman? It's because that's exactly what God says in Genesis 2. And so, so many key questions get answered 
with a, with a right understanding of Genesis 1 through 3. Um, I think it is important for your kids to understand the gospel. And uh, what I would suggest is that at some point when your kids are 12, 13, and 14, one of your family projects be, be understanding how to communicate the gospel clearly. Where, the, where your child, by the time he's or she is a certain age, they could share the gospel clearly with you so that they have a clear understanding of sin, grace, the atonement of Christ, salvation, sanctification, all of those kind of things that they have a, a deep understanding of those things. Um, any other th- knowledge that you think is important for your kids to have? Yeah. Oh, boy, that's so good. How to read the Bible for themselves. How to feed themselves on God's Word. Uh, somewhere in the last three, their knowledge, wisdom, or relationships, I think uh, I would want my kids to know how to uh, have conflict resolution. Mm, cute. How to have conflict resolution. And you're exactly right. That, that really breaches more into the wisdom side of life. For me, the knowledge, the, the uh, difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is that foundational stuff that you need to know. Wisdom is how do you bring that knowledge into life situations. Uh, an, a great word is discernment, the ability to see a situation from God's perspective and know how to respond to it. I feel like the knowledge side of conflict resolution is how to communicate how you're feeling. Oh, boy. So Yeah. Know how to actually say how they're feeling as opposed to the reaction to how they're feeling. You guys are great parents, by the way. Th- th- these are really good things you're bringing up. Um, how to, uh, and let's, let's put this back under skills because communication is a skill. Yeah. How do you listen? How do you listen? If you can train your kids to be good listeners, they're going to be great spouses in the future, they're going to be great friends, they're going to be great Christians, and they're going to keep themselves out of good situations because if you're slow to speak, if you're quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, you're not going to be running yourself into bad situations. Okay? So these are huge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So you're talking about humility here, right? Now that... Like you talked about the gospel, like how much they need How much they need Christ. How much they need Christ every day. How much they need the Holy Spirit filling them. And prayer. And how to pray. So the point is, you know, when you're finished you'll probably have a page of bullet points. Uh, there's a lot of things, and one of the cool things is your kids are growing up, and, you're, and hopefully you're meeting as a, a couple, or if you're a single parent, you're, you're working through this on your own once a month. You can actually start crossing things off. Hey, they know how to do their finances now. We've got that. And you can actually see the progress in your, teenage, in your kids' teenage years and you can show them their progress in their teenage years. Because kids love making progress. Yeah. 
One of the things I was thinking is sometimes we have a list of things that we'd like for our kids, but we not, might not feel competent to teach that to them or confident in our own ability. Like, you want me to teach them the atonement and all of that about the gospel? And so it might be fun if there's a class, you know, that the church is offering that you do it as a family or with your oldest kid or you know, you say, hey, this is something that's really, I really value for you to learn, and I want to learn it too. Let's go learn this together. So some of these things, even if you wanted an automotive class because you needed to learn how to change a tire and change your oil and all of that, do it with them. Don't feel like you have to know everything before you teach it. See it as a project, as a family to do it together. Take a creation class or, you know, a, a Genesis class together or something, or let's study it together and learn, you know, learn about it together. So Okay, good. So under wisdom and discernment, uh, what wisdom do you want your have, child to have? Developing a biblical worldview, uh, knowing the people to avoid. You guys... Oh, wait a minute. Back to biblical worldview. Yeah. What do you mean? Okay. Let me give you a great example of a worldview. If, if you're a little older, you remember this commercial. Do you remember uh, the, I think it was a Budweiser ad, you know, you only go around once in life, grab for all the gusto you can get. Do you remember that commercial? Some of you are going, what are you talking? In fact, some of you are saying, what's Budweiser? You know, where they're, well, they're actually still out there. The, the, that, listen to that phrase. You only go around once in life, Grab for all the gusto you can get. That is a biblical worldview that originated in ancient Greek called Epicurean. A biblical worldview? No, it's not a biblical. Did I say biblical? Excuse me. It's a worldview that says the ultimate good is pleasure. And it's not quite as shallow as it sounds. If you go back into the Greek, they actually define pleasure as virtue. So it's not as weird. But in America, we've defined pleasure as whoopee, let's have some fun. And, and that is a worldview. There's a, a worldview that says there is no such thing as absolutes. In fact, that's probably the predominant worldview today. That, um, and what's interesting about this worldview is the ultimate good to them is tolerance. And their definition of tolerance is I have no right to say that what you're doing is wrong. That's their definition of tolerance. And so, again, there, there's some great... In fact, one of the things I'd love to do for you if you want is pull together a bibliography on some of these things. If you needed to look them up and get a little more, bit more information, you could uh, have that as a resource. But um, one other thing about... I lost my place. All right. Okay. Um, on this knowing the people to avoid. If your children know the Proverbs, they're going to identify six people that they sh should avoid like the plague. They should avoid lazy people. They should avoid angry people. They should avoid fools. They should avoid mockers. They should avoid people of violence. They should avoid strange women. 
And as, you, as your children read through this and get to know these people, it's part of what will help to develop in them this early warning system of this guy who's so cute and so popular, he's a fool. He's an angry man. And you can keep your young women from getting involved with them before they discover that, and then they're already involved and their emotions are out of whack. Yeah? All of that's found in Proverbs. Um, so what I would recommend is maybe... You see, the, the great thing is you have plenty of time. So let's say you're meeting monthly with your kid, and you say, okay, I want you to read Proverbs 1 once a week for this month, and I want you to write down what God says to you out of Proverbs 1. And then the next month you get together, you're just talking about what they got out of it. And hopefully you're doing that and talking about what you got out of it. So these... What what age do you think you should start that? Well, we're talking about that 9-10 level. That that that's where you want to start really intentionally building this stuff into kids' lives. Okay? All right. Um, Now, I want to talk about this meeting process. And then we're going to come back and we're going to look at character. And I want to take you through 2 Peter chapter 1 to help you see how this character thing works. Um, Here's what we're talking about. I'm encouraging you once a month, if you're a couple, dads, I would love for you to take the lead on this. Your kid starts at about 9, 10, they turn about 9 to 10 years old at that level. And, And let me just say, it doesn't need to be all dads. You can switch off dads and moms uh, if you want but just make sure that you're staying on the same page so that your kid is getting a good, solid, uh, consistent message from both of you. Um, Here are some principles of the meeting. Number one, well, you know, I was going to ask you, but let me just pass these out. These, These are kind of discussion guides for your meetings with your kids, okay? Because one of the things, can I throw this at you? I'm not very good at this. Good job. Oh, can I have one, by the way? No, I need one. one of the things in talking, in talking to people that keeps them from having these meetings is they don't know how to get started with them. And so the principle is once a month, you get into a neutral location with your child, um, have lunch, uh, have a Coke together, have, uh, have coffee. Kids don't drink coffee. Have whatever kids drink nowadays. I don't know what kids... What do they drink? Hot chocolate, yes. Make it a place that your child is looking forward to going. And your goal for this time, especially initially, is that your child will look forward to the next one. Okay, so you don't want to start heavy duty and overwhelm the kid and things like that. So I want to encourage you to start light. Um, one, one great question, and this could actually be a question at the dinner table. Uh, I actually got it from a movie, so it's not biblical wisdom, but it, it's... Uh, it's, the dad would say, hey, 
Let's do high-low. What was your high today? What was your low today? Okay, so you want to get out of the habit of... Do you know which movie that was? No. Oh, it was The Story of Us. It's a great... Well, it's a horrible movie. The language terrible, but it's actually a great movie about how hard relationships are. The Story of Us. It was Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer. There's one scene that is absolutely hilarious. They're, they're having an argument with each other in bed, and both parents are metaphorically on, in the argument, in bed with them, and so it, it's, it's so profound, but it's also so sad. Um, so get out of the habit at dinner time of, well, so how was school? Fine, okay, let's move on. Learn to ask questions that prompt conversation. Um, now, when you're getting together with your child, uh, hey, who's your best friend? What do you like about them? So that's the question number two. Um, hey, who is the person that drives you crazy or that you like the least? Uh, tell me about them. What about them bothers you? What do they do that bothers you? See, these are chances for you to kind of gently weave your way into your child's life and discover things that you may not know about your kid. Share about your own stuff on this. So it's not just you asking them questions, it's you letting them know, you know, I have a great friend and they let me down and I just can't tell you how much that hurt me. Or things that help them understand friendship through your life experience. Um... Well, and then out of that, you might ask them, hey, what do you think makes a great friend? See, this, these are things, before we get into the specific idea of building character in their lives, they're just questions that are helping you strengthen your relationship, build your communication with them, and they're non-threatening. Okay? Um, I think one great question to ask your kid is what do you think you're good at? What do you think you're good at? Their answers may actually surprise you. But it's great for you then to echo, hey, here's, you know what I've noticed? I notice you're really good at this. And you may point out things that they don't think they're good at. Because one of the things when we're good at something, we think that everybody's good at it and we don't think it's a big deal. And so sometimes you can point out to kids something like that. Uh, what's your high for the month? What's your low for the month? Um, great thing for your kids, especially as they hit that 14, 15, 16 age level, what questions or doubts do you have about your faith? What are some things that are bothering you about the Christian faith? I think you may get some real surprises there because by this time your kids are thinking independently and unless you're giving them the opportunity, they're not necessarily sharing their growth with you unless you've given them permission to do that. Um... How could you be a great brother or sister to, your, to the other kids? What things could you do that would just make the family a more enjoyable place to be? So you're not telling them what they should do or what they shouldn't do. You're, you're inviting their input. What do you love? Hey, of all the vacations we've taken, what's your favorite vacation? Um, all of those kind of things are going to give you a chance uh, to get. Does this help to have these questions? Yes. Okay. I, I wanted to do this because 
I want to, once you get the ball rolling, I think you'll get hooked on this. Um, and here's two important principles. Number one, uh, always write down right after the meeting what you talked about. Because it's important for you to go into the next meeting knowing what you discussed the prior meeting. Does that make sense? So I would actually encourage you to keep, keep a journal on each child. What are you talking about? What are you learning about them? What are you discovering? Put it in your phone. Yeah, I even have a My Journal app. All right, and, and I have down there, read, about the, read a chapter of Proverbs each month. Uh, have them do that once a week for the month. And again, have them write down what it is they're learning out of that. Boy, you will be amazed if your child understands the Proverbs. They will have a leg up on life that you won't believe. It's incredible. All right. Now let's go on to... Okay, what time is it? It is um, 7 to 7. Okay. Uh, let me do the process first, and then I want to cycle back to character. Can I um, yes. just take a quick minute... Um, this is a thank you card for uh, the Weiss uh, community group because they've been taking care of your kids for this time. So we're going to start passing it around and you can just write a little note in it. Thanks. Okay. Let's talk about this 11 to 18 process, okay? Now, the meetings are a key part of this. Um, and what I would encourage you is about six to nine months into your, meet, your monthly meetings, okay? So you've been meeting, they're getting comfortable, they're getting used to talking to you. You're able to go a little bit deeper without it being threatening for you. They're, they're seeing you not just as a parent now, but they're beginning to see you as a mentor. They're beginning to see you as somebody who has wisdom. And boy, you cannot believe how easy it is to pretend you have wisdom. It really is. If you're sharing biblical truth, you're going to come off really wise. If you're leading them in godly ways, they're going to be amazed because they're going to hear things from you that they're not going to hear from anybody else. Okay? So now, when you sense they're ready for this conversation... You see the little graph I have there? What page is that on? Is that eight? Ten. Oh, page ten. You see these two lines? Uh, the top line is the parental line, and the bottom line is the kid line. Okay? At the beginning of this process, your 9, 10, 11-year-old pretty much has to ask you permission for everything, right? That's the way it should be. Uh, you don't want them coming home the next morning, oh, I decided to stay overnight with a friend. Ha, you wanted me to tell you about that? Oh, I forgot, you know. You, you don't want that. You want them pretty well under your control, right? Are, are we all on the same page there? Okay. So... There's a lot of authority in you as the parent and there's a lot of submission in the child. 
And again, all through their early childhood, that's when you need to deal with that issue. Okay? Don't wait till they're 9, 10, and 11 to try to assert your authority. Okay, here's how this talk goes. Son, daughter, you are, let's say they're 11 years old, okay? Can you believe it? You're only seven years away from being 18 years old. Now, most of them will not have thought about that. They're kind of, whoa. And they might even get, depending on their personality, they might even get a little smile on their face because they're, they're dreaming about being an adult when they can do everything they want to do and nobody's going to tell them what to do, all of this kind of stuff. You know, so there might be a lot of different feelings. Here's the key message at this point. We, your mom and I, or I, as a, if I'm a single parent, and you, we are on a journey together. And my prayer is the journey is going to culminate in you being a mature man or woman of God, committed to following Christ, able to handle the challenges of life, and able to be in healthy relationships with people for the rest of your life. That's my passion for you. And so we're on this journey together. You're, you're not there yet. You've, you've got a long way to go in becoming that kind of person. And I want to guide you towards that goal of becoming that kind of person. Are you with me so far? Any questions? Okay. So, right now, I don't think, and I think it's pretty reasonable, that you are not ready to handle the challenges of an 18-year-old. That's reasonable. You're not 18. You're 11. But my goal and my passion and my prayer is that by the time you're 18, you will be ready to handle everything that life can throw at you and to do it in a way that honors God and do it in a way that brings you joy. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. Your journey is growing in responsibility, character, and faithfulness. We'll talk about the character in just a minute. And my journey, as you grow here, is to lower the control I have over your life. Are you with me? Okay. And my goal is that by the time you're 18, you will be mature enough to make life decisions on your own. You will be mature enough to live life on your own. And your mom and I together, or I as a single parent, whatever your situation is, I will be there as a counselor for you. Not as an authority anymore, as a counselor for you. Now, you guys, some parents do this. They keep the control all the way up, and then they drop it at 18. That guarantees your child will fail. You have just, you have just committed them to failure before they've even tried to succeed. We call these helicopter parents. Have you heard of those, you know? always hovering, always protecting, always fighting their kids' battles for them. 
Okay, you can't do that and let your kids grow up. It won't work. And forgive me, I'm going to be terribly sexist. Uh, moms tend to have a greater problem with this than dads do overall. Now, there are times when it swaps out. But here's the goal is that I'm going to give you things that challenge you in these areas. And as you show me your growth, I'm going to give you more freedom. Now, I haven't met many kids alive for whom the idea of freedom doesn't really ring a kind of a cool bell for them. And so what you're doing with this conversation is you're getting them motivated to participate with you in the process. Okay? Um, I'll just share with you how it worked out in our lives. Uh, most, uh, in fact, all of our kids, by the, same, by the time they were 16, were making the majority of decisions for their lives. Uh, for example, uh, when it came to uh, a, a date night or something like that, and they were saying, what time should we be home? Typically, I would throw it back at them. What time do you think you should be home? And you know what's amazing is they almost always chose a time earlier than I would have chosen if I were choosing for them. They had wisdom. And, that, and their responses to me and their ability to live up to those commitments that they made told me, hey, are they on the path? Now, here's the cool thing about this. When you discipline, you discipline with disagreement in mind. Okay? You say, you know what? Uh, you were doing here, but guess what? You kind of slid down the slide a little bit. And that's okay, but what I have to do is I have to withdraw some of your freedom so that they're seeing that the discipline they're receiving is a direct result of their behavior. And so they're losing freedom, but you're sorry they're losing freedom because you want them on this path. And so, and here's the principle, I think I shared this with you before, love is unconditional, but trust is conditional. You know what? We want to trust you, but guess what? You showed us that we can't right now, so we need to pull back on some of the freedom. And, and, uh, and then the next step, which is so fun, is, you know what? Over the last couple of weeks, you've been doing great, and guess what? I'm going to give you, I, I'm able to give you your freedom again. Steve, there's a scripture in Colossians 3, verse 25. It says, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality so it's a you know it's telling us scripturally that you know if you do wrong you're going to receive the consequences it's not like you as a parent came up with this idea that's great god came up with this idea so that's colossians 3 25 and really colossians 3 is a great passage for uh, parenting and working with kids because it also talks about teaching them to do their work heartily mm -hmm. as unto the Lord not with um, not merely to please men but to please God mm -hmm. and so it's a it's a great um, 
Yeah, it's a great chapter in the Bible to kind of go through as you're thinking of parenting. While you're at it, why don't you read the instruction to fathers in, in Colossians 4? Or Colossians 3? 4. Isn't it 4? No. Oh, <laughs> my bad. Um, fathers, let's see. Do not exasperate. Yes. Hang on. It's um, 321. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Okay. Ways dads exasperate their children is over-discipline, too much, too much correction for the offense. Um, other ways fathers exasperate your, their children is by not caring, by not having enough discipline. And inconsistency is oh. another one. One day, you know, they can do something, and the next day you're getting down on them, and it's like, wait, I can never win. Now, I want to take you down to one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, point six. Oh, here, you take this all together. We expect that you will struggle and fail from time to time. Okay? Let them know that you're not demanding perfection from them. And let them know that you're going to fail and struggle from time to time. Okay? You're an, you're, you're an imperfect parent in a process with an imperfect child, right? So there are going to be struggles. Um, and uh, this is where, this is kind of the beginning of the process. And as parents, if you can fill that out with what are the things, for example, by the time they're 15, by the time they're 16, by the time they're 17, what are the things that you want to be able to expect from them. Um, you know, for example, I, uh, I think it is awesome to be able to expect your kids to do the chores without you having to remind them. Now, when they do that, you praise them like crazy. Now, some of you might say, well, why should we praise them when we're expecting them to do this? Okay? The reason you do is praise reinforces the behavior you want. See, we think that punishment reinforces the behavior. The, the exact opposite of the truth is true. If you uh, affirm the behavior you want, you're reinforcing in that kid, hey, I like that. And so this is the beginning of when you get into this process, the beginning of the conversations, and you may refer back to this quite a bit through your parenting. And as you see your kid making progress, point out the maturity that you see in them. Uh, I mean, Sarah just, it was, it was amazing. She made a jump from being a young woman that we could not trust because we felt like she rarely, if ever, told us the truth. Uh, a young woman that we just had to hound her to get her to do her homework. And something snapped in her, and I think it was about the ninth grade, or? Yeah. Between ninth and 10th ninth grade. grade. And from that time on, she became this truthful, diligent, godly young woman. I mean, I was just going, where did this come from? And one of the things I always wanted to do was point out to her what I was seeing God doing in her life. 
And I, you know, I, with all of our kids, they were, I, I think for Matt, your real moment, adult moment, came when you were hit about 16 or so, it seemed like. That's when a lot of his walk with Christ uh, came into focus. Is that right? And so many things came into focus. And I'll be honest with you, with most of our kids between 16 and 18, it was really kind of a neat thing of continuing to relax authority and them demonstrating that they could handle it. And I felt like our friendships just deepened in those last three years. And uh, how much input did we have in your decision of where to go to college? Uh, actually, uh, at that point, it was mostly Sarah. I had watched her go away at Trinity, and uh, she loved college. She loved what she was doing. I knew what I wanted to do as far as ministry and pursuing. Did you feel that we had a lot of expectations of where we thought you should go? No. Good. Yeah. The, the thing was, my commitment was that he would go where he felt God wanted him to go, that he would never go where he thought I wanted them to go. And because of that, I, kept, I did. I intentionally tried to keep quiet about where I thought they should go. Now, I did try to date him to get, date other girls when he was away at college, but he was too, too hooked on Kristen, and there was no chance of that happening, so... Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, Steve, I, I have a real solid memory of um, a t- time in our daughter's life. I think it was around the ninth or tenth grade, and um, her grandfather was in charge of this Mexicali mission trip, and every year they went on this mission trip, and so it was Sarah's. She was now finally in ninth grade, and she could go. And it was every spring break. And Mm -hmm. so it was assumed by parents and grandparents that she would go on this mission trip. And she did not want to go. She was, no, I don't want to go. And we were kind of embarrassed because here, you know. Well, I think you were. I don't think I was. I was in charge. Yeah. Well. Go ahead. (laughs) Tell the story. Because so, it's a great short. Yeah. The grandfather was, you know, he was, come Gung-ho. on, you got to go, you got to go. So there was a lot of pressure. And at that point, we just, it was kind of a point where we just stepped back and, and came to Sarah and said, listen, Sarah, this is a decision between you and God. Mm-hmm. It's not, you don't go because we want you to go, and you don't go because Pa wants you to go. You go because God wants you to go. And so we said... We're going to challenge you to pray about this. You know, take this next week and you pray about this. And it's between you and God. And she came back and she did not go. Yeah. <laughs> she, I, I don't know if she prayed, but she did not go on this trip. But she went every year after that. Yeah. And it was like we put her relationship with God in her court. Mm-hmm. It was her responsibility. And it seemed to be a very life-changing time in her life that we weren't going to be the ones to push her in her faith. This was going to be between her and God. And it was an amazing change. Yeah. I, think, I think that's when she realized we meant it, that we wanted her to make decisions for her life. 
And, you know, obviously I wanted her to go. I'd, I'd let you go. The, the whole gospel, uh, the whole mission thing was a huge change for, for me, but I wanted her to go. But I did not want her to go if she felt forced to go. And I think uh, that's where having long-range perspective rather than short-range if you're thinking right now, you think, oh, you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta have this mission experience. Well, no, maybe it's better for her to learn that she can make decisions that are apart from us. It's okay to do that. And we, we backed her up on that. We, we made sure that she felt no more pressure to go. And uh, that's one thing with all three of my kids. One of the things people ask me, you know, you're a pastor, and typically pastor's kids hate church when they grow up. How did you do it? One of the things, I never wanted them to feel pressure as pastor's kids. And so the only pressure I wanted them to feel is what do you do as a child of God? Not what do you do to protect my reputation? And that's important no matter what you do for a living. Um, what questions do you have about this? Does this make sense? Any questions about it? Um... One thing that you might ask about is, what if our kids don't want to come, go to church? Okay? To me, and I've, I've worked with parents all the time, and I think it is absolutely reasonable to say, while you're in my home, you go to church. And that counts if they're 16, or if they're 30, or if they're 40, or if they're 50. If they're kids living in your home, and you're in any way supporting their lives you have a right to make some basic demands on their life. And the, the, the basic demand that I've told parents, it's just negotiate with them. Look, we want you to go to church with us on Sunday morning, or you can choose your own church to go to, but you may not, you know, not go to church. That's not an option. And that's a fair, reasonable thing to do. Yeah. So I guess my question would be, where did you guys, since you, you gave Sarah the freedom to decide if she wanted to go on the trip, how did you guys kind of make that decision about what was like, Church is a non-negotiable, but that was a decision you let her make. That's kind of an over and above thing. Uh, uh, I think, uh, oh, was it Sarah who got tired of Awana, or was it you guys who got tired of Awana and didn't do the last year? I don't know. I think I made it. I didn't get a Timothy award or anything. Okay. Yeah, you never got that. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. <laughs> well, one of our kids didn't want to do Awana in the sixth grade, and that was fine with us. Um, the, in fact, I was actually kind of proud of them for growing up, you know, and starting to think of life as an adult rather than a kid. So for me, I, I'd want them to go to church, and if your church has a youth group, to participate in the basic activities of the youth group. Beyond that, I, I think it would be a great thing to give them a little freedom to decide what they want to do. Maybe they don't want to go to camp, uh, you know, and you can certainly talk to them about it and, and say, hey, help me understand why and all of those kind of things, but, but I think we lose more when we force kids to do a lot of these things than we gain by giving them a little bit of autonomy. Because what you're doing is you're helping kids learn how to make decisions. And I think, I think Sarah, at, after that week was over and she heard everybody coming back, she was really sorry that she didn't go. And like Connie says, every year after that, she went and she loved it. 
But I think it might have poisoned her if we would have forced her to go. Okay? I really believe that when your kids are under 18, your faith has to be a family faith. And I, I think it's important for you and your kids to be a part of the same church. I really think that's important. Because your conversations are going to flow out of your church experience. And I think if they're in a group that's going in a different direction, I uh, again, I would... And I, I think it's important for you to preempt that before that starts happening to say, look, if, if you want to have friends from that other church over and even we'll have a, you know, we'll have a little time here or something like that or, or encourage them to develop specific friendships and they can have friendships out of those other groups and things like that. But I, I, would, I would feel badly if my kids were going to a different church than I went to. Now, what's interesting, my brother, Jim, who has, what does he have, four kids? He has four kids. They've all, they're all walking with Christ. They're doing great. I think all of his kids went to a different church than he went to. And, just and, the oldest, just Julie. Oh, no, Amy did too, I thought. Oh, okay. Anyway, he was the stinking pastor of the church, and his kids didn't want to go to his church. You know, now I would... I would have been fairly offended with that, and I would have worked to manipulate around that. But, um, but he did it that way, and so this is not one of those all-or-nothing things, you know. But that's this is just my opinion. I wanted I wanted us to have a common experience of faith, and I think if if your kids are getting involved and they're building friendships, and part of what you can do as a parent is stir friendships in your kids. Like, hey, who do you like from church? Let's have them over, you know. Let's, and one of the things we did that, I'm so glad we did this. We, when we would go on vacations, the kids would have best friends go with them on the vacation with our family. So I remember one year, uh, who did you take with you? Joy Pay. Oh, okay, Joy Pay. Sarah had a girlfriend, and Joe had a, a friend that he took with him. And we just kind of wove the friends into the family experience. And that is I, one of the things that my kids have that I wish I had. They all have lifelong friendships. And I think they set a pattern in their lives where they just started building friends that from school, from church, from wherever they were, and they've maintained those friendships over the years, and their lives are better because of it. Okay? Now you guys, you have kind of a group of lifelong friends, don't you? And it's a, it's a great thing, isn't it? Yeah. And so one of the things that you can do as parents, even now if your kids are four, five, six, seven, eight, hey, who would you like to come with us to Disneyland? Who would you, well, that's cost an arm and a leg, but who would you like to come to the Ventura County Fair with us, you know? Or, uh, or, or hey, we're going to the... Swim party. Yeah, swim party or go to the beach. Be a hospitable family that you're inviting the kids to join you 
on these kind of adventures, and your kids are learning how to be friends with other friends around you. And I think it's really important to have your house be the place to be. Mm -hmm. That you welcome kids from the neighborhood, from, you know, your kids' school friends, that, you know, you have the trampoline, or you have, you know, and you invite them over for a swim, or take, like you said, take them to the beach. Mm -hmm. But be a parent who welcomes, who's hospitable, to other people and don't worry about the mess or the extra time and energy it takes because it pays in the long run. The dividends are huge. It's so much more important than having your house neat and everything controlled and in order. Re you know, remember the long range goal is you want your kids to love Christ and to walk with people who do. So welcome people into your home so that they can see yeah. how a Christ-like home we had a lawsuit machine in our backyard, a trampoline, and, uh, <laughs> and a lawsuit machine. Um, and, I mean, they did things that scared the living daylights out of me. I mean... i just go inside and close my eyes. You know, where the three of them would surround, and they jump, and they launch the other person, and, I mean, it was nuts. I know. Yeah. What do you guys think about sleepovers? I think they're great. Sleepovers? Well, not guys and girls together. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, but what, what do you think? What are you thinking about? Well, I just remember when I was young, like a lot of bad things happened at sleepover. I was probably because I was with the wrong people. Yeah. But. This is part of getting to know your kids' friends and making sure that the friends that they're... Uh, have we talked about ministry relationships and fellowship relationships yet? Okay, let me talk about relationships just a minute. There are two kinds of friendships you want your kids to develop. One is ministry relationships. Jesus was a friend of tax gatherers and sinners, right? He would go into these parties where he was the only Christ. There was a bunch of non-Christ around there, you know. It was probably a lot of drinking, a lot of junk, a lot of stuff going on. And Jesus could go into that situation and feel totally comfortable. Now, here's the question. Who was influencing whom? Right? Jesus was the one who was having an influence on everybody. He was the light of the world, and he was, he was being light in that situation. My son Joe, when he went up to college, uh, he attended all of the drinking parties, and he never drank. He was the one who was driving his friends home because they were smashed out of their minds. And he developed a ministry that people started asking him, why don't you feel the need to drink? And it was just amazing to watch how, how his light really shined because he could be in those situations. Now, a ministry relationship is when you're in a relationship with a person specifically to influence them for the kingdom of God. Okay? And you want to teach your kids to be intentional about those relationships. It doesn't mean they share the gospel the second time they meet them, but it does mean that they're realizing, I am representing Jesus. And they take that very seriously. Fellowship relationships are when your kids are in friendships and they are giving other people uh, freedom to influence them. Okay? 
You only want pure-hearted believers in that category. And so teach your kids very quickly to spot a pure-hearted believer. Let me ask you this. What would you look for if you were looking for a pure-hearted believer? Do you understand what I mean by that, by the way? Where, the, where you're committed to Christ and, and it's, you're, you're totally committed to Christ. What would you look for? Hmm? You'd look for the fruit. Yeah. What for, and what fruit would you look for? You'd look for their honesty. You'd look for their heart, their love, their charity. Their is there character? Is there character of a believer? Um, great. What else would you look for? Definitely look at, I mean, parents, their parents. Okay, look at their parents. They'll tell me the world, tell me a lot. Yep. Now, a lot of times as kids are getting 15 and 16, some of the most pure-hearted believers are coming from their worst homes because they've made a commitment to Christ and it's a heartfelt commitment. But I think generally speaking, you're right. The parents are huge. What else would you look for? Probably talk about other people. Oh, man. How, how did they... What is the one characteristic that Jesus said we would know that we're his disciples? Love. We have love for one another. That means they have love and respect for their parents. They have uh, love for their... In other words, they demonstrate love to people. Anything else? That's so great. Pure-hearted believers are comfortable around adults, other pure-hearted believers, because they're not hiding. Um, I think I think talking to people for about ten minutes, if if you're leading them in the in the conversation towards Christ, you can tell right away if people are pure-hearted. Uh, if kids act one way with believers and another way with non-believers, you know they're not pure-hearted. So, you see, could, this is part Steve, of the... This, this could be an interesting conversation at one of those... Monthly uh, gatherings. Monthly gatherings. What's so exciting, you guys, if your kids are learning this, you are preparing them for a life of joy because they're going to know how to have relationships with people... Uh, and by the way, if you haven't written it down, I think I got it written down somewhere. You might want to write it down here. The Second Timothy two twenty two. Okay. Uh, flee youthful lust. And that, by the way, that's not just sexual. That's all of the. It's cars. It's all, even grades. Uh, being obsessed with grades. All of those things are a pack, package of the world that want to take us away from Christ. So flee any of those passionate desires. And pursue love, faith, righteousness, peace. There's a group of about four or five things. But this is what I love. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so that's what I wanted my kids to learn is how do you spot a pure-hearted believer? And those are the people you want to make your friends, your fellowship friends. Okay? Um, oh, yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, Let me just stop here. I want to spend our last period of time on 2 Peter 1. Uh, but before we go to that, what questions do you have? Are there holes in what we've talked about and you're saying, I still don't know what to do here or what to do with this or things like that? Could be about teenagers, could be about your kids now. Any questions? I have a yes. question about what we 
my daughter is, uh, has been in Christian preschool. She's going into regular elementary school and doesn't really have any idea that other people don't believe in Jesus. Mm. Uh, so I'm trying to talk with her a little bit about that, but I don't really know what that conversation is. And she's five? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think a lot of your conversation... You see, here's the key. You don't have a conversation. You have conversations at least once a week about, hey, what are you learning? What are your teachers teaching? And I, I'm not sure if this is true, but my understanding is in California, they're bound by law now in the first and second grade that teach people about sexual identity, transgender, homosexuality. And so uh, your kids are going to be exposed to this, which is tragic because what they're doing is sexualizing your children. I would be very active in going to the teacher and saying, hey, I want my, my child excused from those classes. Um, and and what's, what's so sad is you're going to have to have conversations with your child long before they're ready to have those conversations because schools are unwisely doing that. Actually, Steve, I think one of her questions is when do you tell them that other people don't believe in Jesus? Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, and like how to tell them. I mean, that stuff too. Well, she knows that, right? She knows that p- there are people who don't believe in Jesus, right? What is she, four? She, yeah, she's five. Okay. But, if, but if you're at a Christian preschool and you go to church and not, so most of your friends are Christians, you might think everybody believes in Jesus. But we did that. We did Christian preschool for three years, mm-hmm. two years, and then public school. And honestly, we have one that has been called our little evangelist. It's, he didn't really get anything until fourth grade where somebody actually said just this past year, Oh my goodness! Like, we never had the issue yeah. at that young age. That's very cool. Other than maybe him coming home and going, "Did you know everyone doesn't believe in Jesus?" Well, and like, we do now. We do. It's okay. Uh, do you have neighborhood kids at her age? I mean, we do, but they're Christians. Oh, okay. I'm surrounded by Christians. That's awful. <laughs> no, I'm, t- I'm teasing you. Um, this is a great opportunity to, to just sit down before your daughter goes to kindergarten to say, you know, guess what? You're going to meet a lot of kids who don't believe in Jesus. And this is a great opportunity for you to show them the love of Jesus. And just don't make it a negative thing. Make it a positive thing. Okay? And then just, hey, and, and I want you to know, I want to know, and I, I, I want to hear, I'm not going to be angry at you, but just... Let me know what you're learning, and we can, we can talk about what you're learning. And you see, this is what I was talking about in that stage where you're kind of her guide as to how to interpret what she's learning. Yeah. And as her guide, you're going to help her shape all of that into a worldview that makes sense from God's Word. Okay? So lots of fun conversations coming up. Uh, any other questions? Okay. Um, I want you to get your Bibles, and we're going to spend our last few minutes talking about a passage that has absolutely shaped my life and my parenting and pretty much everything. This is, this is the passage where all of the stuff I'm teaching you started from, okay? So, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And first we're going to read verses 2 through 4. Y'all got it? Or is it, in, is it in your notes? Okay, if it's not, you should look it up. Everybody look it up. Do you have a section on character? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, it's in the appendix. Or addendum. Okay, so we'll get to that in just a minute. This is such a great passage, you guys. If you haven't memorized it, absolute requirement to memorize it. And by the time your kid is 15, he or she should have memorized this passage. And it'll change everything. It's magic. It's a pill. Just take this pill and you'll turn out fine. All right. Verse 2. Grace, and I'm going to read it from the New American Standard because I like that one better, but it's okay. Uh, And so it'll be a little different. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, looking back at his glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. All right. Two through four is about what God has done for us and what God has given us. Now look at verse two. Uh, What do you see in verse two that God has done for us or what God wants us to experience? Okay, who said that? Great. Grace and peace, but not just grace and peace. An increasing experience of grace and peace. Okay? Now, this is very important. God wants you to experience more grace and peace today than you did yesterday. And tomorrow when you wake up, he wants you to experience more grace and peace. So that's why I love the New American Senate. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, from this verse, why do some Christians experience multiplying grace and peace and some Christians don't? Okay. The place where you experience multiplying grace and peace is in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And by the way, uh, there are two words for knowledge. There's gnosis and epignosis. So you can see they're the same word with a little epi in front of it. Epignosis means I really know him. In other words, it's an experience relational knowledge. So the more you get to know God and Jesus, the more your experience of his grace and peace is going to be. Look at verse 3. What has God given us there? Everything about what? This is so cool. Do you realize what this verse is promising you? It's promising you and it's promising your child that you will never face a situation where God will not give you the resources to handle it. You've got to watch the double negatives, but you understand what I'm saying. Every situation you face, you will have what you need for life and you will have what you need to respond to life in a godly way. Is that, is that huge to you? I mean, that is like amazing to me And think about the confidence that this is going to give your child for him or her to know this, that when they are 16 and they're in a bad situation, they already have what they need for life and godliness. Now again, look at verse 3. Why do some people experience this and some people don't? It's through the knowledge of him, right? So that 
for me to experience everything pertaining to life and godliness, I need to be growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay? So you need, boy, more than anything, what you need for your kids is you need for them to be in a growing, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ so that they will have everything they need for life and godliness. Verse 4, what has he given us in verse 4? His promises. Not just his promises. Verse 4 says in my translation, his precious and magnificent promises. If you ever want a great book and you can get it on Kindle, there's a book called All of the Promises of the Bible. In a, a hard book, it's that thick. And all it is is a list of all of the promises that God has made to us. So God has given us his promises and what is God's purpose for giving us his promises? It's in verse 4. Okay, okay, perfect. Say that again. To participate in the divine nature. Okay, to participate in the divine nature. Uh, again, I'm a little prejudiced, but it, this says to become partakers of the divine nature. Okay? Now think about this with your kid. God is equipping your kid to become a partaker of God's very nature. But would you love to see that when your kid's 18? To, to be uh, in, in, enmeshed with the nature of God. Now there's a, a negative purpose there. What does it say there? Huh? Escape the to escape the world's corruption and by human desires. By human desires. Uh, exactly. In other words, what's so cool is if your kids are in this process that we're going to talk about, they're going to look at, at the binge drinking and the casual side. They're going to look at that and they're, they're going to realize that that is a path of corruption that is fueled and motivated by lust. And they're going to look at that and say, is that where I want to go? No, I don't want to go there. See, you're setting your kids up for success. Now, we're going to skip 5 through 7 for a minute. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. Now listen very carefully, because these are the promises of God of what's going to happen if they do 5 through 7. For if these qualities, those are the qualities of 5 through 7, okay? You with me? If these qualities are yours and are increasing, in other words, you don't just get them and have them, you get them and you grow in them, okay? They render you, this is a little quirky on the wording, neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now let me flip that for you. What Peter is promising is if you are possessing these qualities and you're growing in these qualities, you're going to be effective, or excuse me, you're going to be useful and fruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, your life is going to be counting for something. Verse 9 even gets more exciting. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, flip this around. What is this promising for somebody who is growing in these qualities? Those who lack them are blind and short-sighted. What about people who have these qualities? 
effective and fruitful. Well, that's verse 8, but verse 9. That's all right. They're going to see the gospel for what it is. They're forgiven for all eternity. Okay. But not only are they going to see that clearly, they're going to see all of life clearly. You see, think of somebody who's short-sighted. Hey, let's go get drunk. Hey, that feels good. I'm going to do that. But what about somebody who has clear vision? They're going to have a totally different response to that. And perspective. So what this is saying is he who possesses these qualities is going to have clear vision. Boy, that's what I wanted for my kids is for them to have clear vision. For them to see people for who they really are. For them to see life for who they really are. For them to, for what it really is. For them to see life accurately and clearly from God's perspective. Now, that second phrase, one of the things that's going to be true of people who are growing these qualities is they're never going to lose their sense of gratefulness to God for their forgiveness. That's always going to be clearly in their perspective. Okay, you with me? First one is they're going to be useful and fruitful. Second one is they're going to have clear vision and they're going to always be grateful to God for forgiveness. All right. Third one. Uh, verse 10. What is the promise? Well, let's, let's read it. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. What's the promise? You'll, you'll never fail. Now, this doesn't mean, there are two words for stumble. One word is the stumble where you're stumbling and you'll never get up. And the other is you trip and you fall and you get up. This is the first word. It's promising you're never going to stumble in a way that you can't get up and get going again. We'll trip from time to time. But what you're guaranteeing is your kids are going to make it to the finish line. So cool. Verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Listen to this, you guys. What Peter is promising you is that if you're in this process, when you stand before Jesus Christ, you will succeed. You will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I mean, as I think of my kids, if that became true, everything else is gravy for me. I don't even care about everything else. If they stand before Jesus Christ and he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant, ball game over. I'm, I'm happy. Well, they <laughs> Well, maybe Jesus has come again. I don't know. All right. My wife. What can I do? All right. So two through four, we've seen what God has done. 8 through 11, we've seen the promises that are to you, but what we're talking about right now, these promises are to your children. Man, you guys, I hope this is getting you excited about wanting to build this stuff into your kids. So, 5 through 7 is a, to to give you an idea, the picture is you're building a wall. And each character quality is being built on the previous character quality. So what he says is now for this very reason, applying all diligence. That's kind of the mortar that holds everything together. In your faith, faith is your foundation. 
supply moral excellence or virtue or goodness, some of your verses say. And then to your virtue or ex moral excellence, supply knowledge. And to your knowledge, self-control. To your self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. Godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, love. So in the wall that you're building, you're building these character qualities. Now, we're on page 15. Okay? I want to... I want to talk about these things because these are the character qualities that we tried to build into our kids as they were moving towards adulthood. First one, and actually it's two sides of a coin, is diligence and initiative. Diligence is when you get joy out of doing your best in any situation. Is it, whether it's school, whether it's work. Uh, Connie brought up Colossians 3.22 through 24. Write that down, by the way, next to diligence. If your kids work for Chick-fil-A or if your kids work for uh, Hamburger Heaven or whatever, you know, I don't care what job they have. Your passion is to help them to be the best employee that they can possibly be. Okay? That's diligence. If they're going to school and they're doing the paper... Your goal is to get them to take joy out of doing that job well. Does that make sense? You understand diligence? Okay. Initiative is awesome. And one thing I always told my kids as they were growing up is if you develop initiative, you will shine like the sun because nobody in your generation has initiative. You realize how few people in this world have initiative? Initiative is where you do something without being asked. Initiative is where you're working and you've done what your boss has asked you to do and you go to them and say, is there anything else I can do to help? Do you, do you realize how rare that is in this world? I mean, it is crazy. Um, my son Joe uh, started working for a bakery uh, about a year ago, a year, and a, half. a year and a half ago, and he was a driver. He just needed a job. He was out of work, and they were running out of money, so he takes his job. He drives from 1 a.m. to 8 a.m. To, to deliver bread. And Joe had learned initiative. And so when he wasn't driving, he would, is, can I help bag the bread or can I help do this? And he, he was always looking for things that he could do. Not to show up, just it's the kind of person he was. Shortly into this, the, there were two partners, and one of the partners comes to him, and he says, I'd like to turn, would you like to take over my half of the business? And Joe looked at them, and he, and he said, I would, but I have a problem because your partner doesn't operate the business with integrity. Now, this was a little dicey because the partner was the guy's ex-wife. Uh, they were married when they started the bakery. They got divorced. They continued to be partners. So, so what was so cool about this is the guy respected that, but they kind of dropped it. About three months later, the wife, the ex-wife, comes to him and says, I would like you to take over my half of the business. She didn't know that the, her ex-husband had come. And so this began a round of negotiations. The, the bottom line is, is now Joe actually owns this bakery and is, you know, basically running it. And, and 
But it, it all started with that quality of initiative. Um, you know, Matt starting this church. If he was the kind of person who waited for other people to tell him what to do, do you think he ever would have started this church? No. Um, he had that quality of initiative. And you guys, if you can build this in your kids, your kids are going to do everything God wants them to do. It's so cool. So diligence and initiative. You understand that one? Okay. That's kind of the foundational stuff. Next one. Moral excellence or integrity or virtue or goodness. There's a whole bunch of things. Here's what it is. It's when you do the right thing no matter what the cost. In fact, Psalm 15, 16, 15 says something really cool. It, it says, He who swears to his own hurt and does not turn away, that's the kind of person God loves. In other words, a person who makes a deal that turns out to be a bad deal, but they keep the deal because they gave their word. Okay? Moral excellence. Um, any questions about this one? This. Okay, let's go on. Knowledge. Um, this is talking about a working understanding of, not, of God's Word. Now, let's talk about how this relates. If you want to do the right thing, you need to know what the right thing to do is, right? Okay, so knowledge actually helps to supplement and strengthen moral excellence by answering the question, what is the right thing in a given situation? Self-control. Uh, Self-control is the one that I've never quite gotten down. But still, I'm still working on it. I'm, I'm going to get it before I die. I know that. Um, self-control is when you say no to yourself so that you can say yes to God. Self-control is always, also when you can say no to what you want to do so that you can say yes to what you need to do. Does that make sense? See, so many people in this world do everything they want to do, and then if they have any time left over, they do what they should do. Self-control is exactly the opposite. I'm going to do what needs to be done first, and then I'm going to have time to do what I want to do. Self-control, you guys, is such an amazing quality to build into your kids. If, if you give them this gift of self-control in their lives, you, they will... They will bless you forever because you will make their lives so much easier. You guys, my life was hard because I never developed self-control. I'll be brutally honest with you. I, I, I have made life so hard on myself by not having self-control. Yes? How did you teach it to your children? Mm. You don't teach it yourself. First, you model it, Right? Now, I'm amazed my kids developed it uh, because I was not a good model of self-control. But, sec yes, <laughs> Connie was a much better example of self-control. That's why, that's why it's nice to have two in the mix. Uh, the third thing is you highlight it whenever you see it. Uh, for example, look in Scripture for, for examples of people who have self-control. Well, model it, highlight it. Uh, you know, the, point it out when you see it in other people. 
Um, fourth, praise it. When, uh, when you, if you say to your kids, hey, before you watch TV, I'd like you to clean your room and get your homework done, and then we can watch TV. And if they do that, man, you say, you know what? You showed self-control, and I am so proud of you for that. Okay? And so they begin to realize, oh, I did it right. And that's a good feeling for kids. So, you know, it goes back to that catch them doing something right is very important. But, and let me give you one thing that I think we did with the kids that my parents never did with me, is help them to know how to do what you're asking them to do so that they're not overwhelmed by the prospect of doing it. Okay? So, don't get something that demands self-control on a scale of 1 to 10 at an 8 when they're not there yet. Give them things where you're asking them to exercise self-control for 5 minutes, okay, or for 10 minutes, uh, not for 2 hours. Steve, I think um, all of us have strengths and all of us have weaknesses. And some of you, self-control isn't a weakness. It's a strength. And for others... You know, if you have, you, your strength might, uh, or your weakness might be in the area of integrity. You know, maybe telling the truth or, or whatever is a weakness in you. And so, um, don't necessarily pride yourself that, oh, this isn't a problem. Or expect it not to be a problem for your kids. Um, but when you see that you have a weakness in an area or your children do, that's especially when you need to teach them how to rely on the Holy Spirit because he is actually the one who helped you have self-control yep. and kindness and gentleness and these qualities. Um, help them to see how to do it right, but then also, you know, this is hard. This, you know, and he can admit this is really hard for me, and I need the Lord to help me to exercise self-control. And so, so valuable to help them learn how to call on God for the strength to do the things that might be really weak for them. One of the big things, and what you're saying is exactly true, because none of us are going to have all of the character qualities down pat. We're we're all growing in them, but if when your child exhibits self-control, point out to them how good it feels to do that. Doesn't it feel good to have your room clean? Now you can relax, you can watch TV, and you don't have to worry about getting it done later. And, and if, if you're developing that and your kids are learning the joy of self-control, and I think what Connie pointed out, if you're good at self-control, maybe your challenge is going to be to lighten up once in a while, give, you know, cut your kids some some slack and give them some fun, things like that. Learn a little spontaneity. Okay. Another form of this, too, is like a delayed gratification. Yes. And then so when, and if, Lord, and then if the Lord provides at that moment that things come around, things work out your way, yeah. um, that's when you really celebrate. That's really cool. Yeah. For me, de delayed gratification was waiting 15 minutes for a candy bar, you know, so that's... Um, perseverance. Um... By the way, the way you develop perseverance is by going through trials, and the way you develop perseverance in your kids is as they're going through trials, teach them about perseverance, okay? Now, perseverance is self-control on steroids, okay? 
Perseverance is when pressure is coming against you. My, my favorite picture of perseverance is of a guy trying to get out to the ocean to surf. Now, smart guys know to dive under the waves, right? You don't, you don't try to brace the waves and keep marching. Is that right, surfers? Okay, thank you. I just didn't want to talk out of my hat. Okay. Um, and so, but me, I like walking out in the ocean, you know, braving and waves can hit me and I keep going, you know. It's like when I'm baptizing people, I like them to feel the furl fury of the waves so they know what we're doing. And, and perseverance is when you keep making progress even when there's force being pushed against you, Okay. And it's also learning to do that over the long term. Okay? What a gift to give to your kids. Steve, I see that um, self-control can be something that's very daily. You know, just the dailiness issues. Perseverance is usually the unusual hits or the crises hit. Mm, Absolutely. um, Long-term sickness or... Yeah, something that you have to push through. Like, you're great at perseverance. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that it's self-control on steroids. Maybe you're right, yeah. I, th- I see them as a little bit different because... Uh, yeah, I drive people crazy because I, I really do. I never give up, you know, and that's never give up, never give in. Isn't that what... <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, one other thing about perseverance, you guys, if you want to be great parents... Share with your kids when you're going through a trial. Okay? Don't protect it from them. Don't hide it from them. Let them in on this. And we are out of money and business is lousy and we don't know what we're going to do. But you know what? We're trusting God right now and we're believing that he's going to carry us through. You pray as a family together. You share your own struggles and how God is giving you perseverance. This is how you teach perseverance. Give me some biblical characters who showed perseverance. Daniel. Daniel. Amazing. Who else? Noah. Who? Noah. Noah. Absolutely. 120 years worth of perseverance. <laughs> who else? David. David. 13 years after he was anointed king, he had to wait till he actually took the place of being king. Job. Who? Job. Job. Big time perseverance. <laughs> I'll tell you my all-time biblical favorite of perseverance is Joseph. Because Joseph had time after time, disappointment after disappointment, and he never gave up. He's my hero. So, biblical characters in perseverance is is a great way, reading Bible stories about these guys, and talk about these character qualities. Question? Oh, just, oh, fly. Either a fly or a question. Okay, uh, Godliness, as your kids are growing up through this, one of the cool things that's going to happen is they're not going to need a WWJD bracelet anymore. Okay? What would Jesus do? Okay, I need to look at my bracelet to remind me, okay, what would Jesus do? He would do this. I'm going to try to do this. Okay, you don't need that anymore because godliness is when godly nature is becoming a part of your nature. This word is very hard to actually define into the English language, it literally means God lean. In other words, you have the tendency to respond to situations as God would. It's natural. 
It's intuitive now. You're moving on in your Christian faith and you're becoming mature in your faith so that you intuitively want to do the things that God would have you do in that situation. See, all of these characters are building up to something wonderful. The next one, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, because a lot of godly people can become very harsh. Hey, you should be like me. You should quit doing that. That's wrong. You know, and, and have you noticed how sometimes people go through a, a harsh phase in their growth in Christ? It's because they've built the godliness, but they haven't got the brotherly kindness yet. <laughs> brotherly kindness softens that. So now, you're not coming to them with a hammer. You're coming to them with love in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love is the pinnacle. Love is when your passion to share with people and give to people and, and build up people extends to no matter what they are, whether they're your friend or your enemy, whether they're a believer or non-believer. They are loved because God has put them in your path. You are now the Good Samaritan when you hit that ultimate quality. Okay? Um, I know we kind of raced through these, but we're out of time. And I want to respect your time, and I want to respect the babysitter's time. So I just want to say two things to you. Number one, uh, it has been a joy to be able to share with you guys. And I really pray with all my heart that this has been helpful to you. Uh, I hope this has not been theory because... Honestly, believe it or not, this is not theory with us. This is what we believe. This is our passion. Um, so thank you for giving us the chance to have input in your lives. It's, it's really been a pleasure. Uh, number two, um, I would like you to do something for me, if you would. Uh, or is our email in the book anywhere? Uh, I would just love for you, uh, because we want to do this more, and one of the things we want to do is have people sharing how they've been blessed by this workshop, this seminar. And if, if you could think through, just not, oh, it was a great seminar. That's not what I'm looking for. But how specifically, what, what really jumped out to you as something that you're going to take away and try to build into your life as a parent? doesn't need to be long, just a sentence or two. And if you could write that and email it to us, that would just be an amazing blessing to us, okay? So tell them the email address. Okay. Um, probably the, easy one, the easiest one is Stephen Connie Larson, all lowercase, no, no uh, dots or caps or anything like that. Stephen Connie Larson, L-A-R-S-O-N, at gmail.com. Okay? And... Uh, by the way, if you have any, I wish you would have, okay? And, uh, you know, I'll cry for two hours, but then I'll get over it and I'll get better with that. Uh, yes, uh, I, I would love to know if you have any suggestions as to what could make this stronger or any areas where we might have missed or any things where you felt like it was a too ethereal and not practical. Any of those things, I would love to hear that from you as well, okay? So, let's close in prayer. We'll let you guys go. God, thank you so much for this time. I thank you for each person here who is just, uh, Lord, they're, they're passionate about being the parents you want them to be. And I pray for each family here that you would anoint them by your Holy Spirit. May they be filled with your spirit of grace and peace. 
And may be, they be those parents who have the calm and the wisdom and the peace in their hearts to respond to their kids in a way that builds their kids up and brings glory to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys very much. It's been great to be with you.